Here's, uh, here's what we're going to do for the next uh, little bit of time. We'll, we'll try and get out of here and, in, uh, you know, before it's too dark, before morning. Um, I want to take a few minutes and, uh, and just talk with you about the principles that, that we're seeking to, uh, to employ as we shape uh, a mission program for the church. And then we'll look spe- at, at the, uh, it's about an eight-minute video of my, my recent trip to Tanzania. Um, and after the video, I'll, I'll make some comments, um, just share some stories with you, and then save uh, some time for you all to, um, to ask questions, because I, I know that there are folks who do have some questions. So that's what we're going to do. But um, our church has, has been blessed over the course of these, um, these four years with, with a whole bunch of new faces. And, and um, it, it's, you know, just kind of important, I think, uh, on a regular basis to, to uh, help folks who are new to the church understand what it is that we're about and, and how it is we're doing what we're seeking to do. And a time like this is a great occasion for that. Um, I teach uh, a newcomer's class. I've taught several of them, just completed one not too long ago, and that attempts to do this, uh, just kind of keep people, um, get people informed and keep people informed about who we are and, and where we're going. And just seemed like a good occasion tonight to uh, to do that for just a few minutes. And um, so l- let me just make these, these observations um, and refer you, first of all, to the first promise that God made uh, to Abraham. And I, I mentioned this this morning uh, in the sermon when God uh, first spoke, or the first record that we have of God speaking to, to Abraham is in Genesis 12. And let me, let me read these verses for you. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. That... Uh, verse in itself is a great text for preaching because Abraham becomes a sojourner. <laughs> he, becomes, uh, he becomes a traveler. He becomes a missionary, in effect, and, and is the first one, really and truly, sort of entrusted with the promise of the gospel in a, in a foreign land. Uh, so uh, that's verse 1. Then verse 2, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. All of the families of the earth will be blessed. Um, and, and the thing to observe is simply when God first makes this promise to Abraham, it isn't just him and his family that are the recipients of blessing, but the nations of the world are in view. The nations are in view. Um, and that really, that really sets a trajectory for us understanding what is going on in the Bible. God is concerned to reclaim the nations for himself. And, uh, and I love Psalm 2 um, in connection with this because Psalm 2 is this, um, contains this Wonderful conversation, if you will, between the two persons of the Godhead, the Father and the Son. And the thing that is at the heart of their conversation, if you will, is again, the nations. Let me just read the whole psalm. 
Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth, earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. But he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And then verse 7, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give the nations to you as your heritage and the ends of the earth as your possession. The father is imploring the son that the son would implore the father to give him the nations as a heritage as an inheritance, as a possession. The ends of the earth as his possession, which is a metaphor uh, for the nations. So from, from Genesis 1 all the way through the scriptures, in a place like Psalm 2 uh, and down to the time of Jesus, the nations have always been in view in God's purpose of redemption. Now, I, that's, maybe that's familiar to you. Maybe that's sort of this stuff that kind of goes without saying. But that affects us. That affects what it is we're thinking about and what we're doing and, and what our vision as a church is about. Our, our vision needs to extend beyond us. It needs to extend beyond this community. It needs to extend beyond this state, beyond this nation. Our, our vision needs to include a vision for the nations. Um, and... Um, Well, I'm saying, that, I'm saying that we need to have a vision for the nations, a vision for carrying the gospel uh, to the nations. And that really was what the, the church was commissioned to do uh, at the end of Matthew and in John, uh, John's gospel uh, as well. And, uh, and in Acts chapter 6, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and following, um, just before the ascension, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And after he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight uh, and... um, Two, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come again in the same way as you saw him go. And they returned to Jerusalem. And they had been instructed to wait in Jerusalem until the Father should pour out the promise, the promise of the Spirit, when they would be empowered by the Spirit to fulfill this mission of carrying the gospel to Judea or to Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that really is the commission that has been the commission of the church um, for all of these centuries. And because the church, through the centuries, has been faithful to that commission, right? That explains why we are gathered here tonight, because we're the nations. We're not all the nations, but we're some of the nations. 
and because the church for 20 centuries has been faithful to that commission to take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria into the uttermost parts of the earth, we now, 20 centuries after that commissioning, are the beneficiaries of their faithfulness. But the story isn't over. The story isn't completed. The story continues to be written. And now, just as the disciples who were gathered by the grace of God and Jesus Christ were commissioned to carry the gospel, we as his disciples, gathered by his grace, have a responsibility for the nations as well. So that is a, that is a piece of, of what we are as a church, who we are as a church, and, and it is a part of what we have been and who we have been as a church. Um, I've shared this on uh, Sunday evenings. Uh, I know, I think I've shared it uh, other, in other settings as well. One of the, one of the things that was um, very compelling for me and for Barb is we tried to understand where it is that God was leading us and where our next place would be. One of the things that was really compelling to us about this group uh, four and a half years ago, it was a commitment to seeing the gospel be extended out beyond this place and to see that people were engaged in ministries in this community and supportive of ministries beyond this community that were expressive of that commitment. So this, this is something that is in the DNA of the life of this church, and it's, and it's a very encouraging thing. Um, so that's kind of the, you know, that's, that's who we are. This is, we find ourselves as a part of a story uh, that, that really began to unfold when God made his first promise to Abram, a promise that included the nations, um, and uh, the first commissioning of the church as the church was charged with responsibility for taking the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So what are the principles that we've sought to apply um, as we've sought to shape a mission strategy and a, and a mission policy. And, and when, we've, when we've tried to make decisions about where we focus our financial resources, because that's a big piece of, of, of having a mission strategy, a mission plan. Where do you, where do you commit your money? Um, so let me, give you those, let me give you the principles um, and, then, um, and, and then just uh, sort of illustrate it. The first one is is seeking to be serious about Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. This is our Jerusalem, Indian River County. This is where we live. There are needs here. Um, there are opportunities for ministry here. And so as we have sought to develop a, a mission plan, a mission strategy, first question is, what, what can we do here? What can we do here? Uh, second thing... Um, that is a principle uh, helping us to give shape to this, this mission, vision, and plan, is church planting. As you read through the book of Acts, when Paul um, was uh, in, in his missionary endeavors, when Paul was carrying the gospel from Antioch, you remember he and Barnabas were sent from Antioch and they were sent into Asia Minor, Acts 14 tells us that they established churches. They planted churches indigenous churches among indigenous peoples. Now, um, it's the, the, the way that ended up working itself out is very interesting because the first places that Paul and Barnabas would go to preach the gospel, the first places they would go were where? To synagogues. To people who had already had familiarity with what the gospel was all about in its promise form, 
they'd go to the synagogues and they'd say the promise is fulfilled. Now, not everybody believed, but lots of people did. So the initial churches that were planted by the Apostle Paul came out of the synagogues. They were Jewish people. And I think the original leaders, the initial elders, if you will, in local churches were probably Jewish because they had familiarity with these things, understanding of these things, and would have been the appropriate people for Paul and Barnabas to appoint to these positions of providing uh, oversight and leadership to congregations. And then Gentiles would begin to be gathered in as well. There were Gentile proselytes in the synagogues. That's a fascinating story in itself. Um, so churches were planted. And again, that is a, that's a very evident thing in the book of Acts. So if we want to pattern our mission strategy after uh, patterns that are established for us in the scriptures, we want for church planting to be um, an important part of, of what we're doing. Um, and, um, uh, and, and, we, and that is an important part of what we're doing. Very specifically, we're supporting our local presbytery, Central Florida Presbytery. We, we meet what are called presbytery askings. In order for the presbytery to do its work, they provide the churches with a dollar figure, kind of a per, it's not a tax. We don't get our hands slapped if we don't pay it. It's not that kind of a day, thing. It's called an asking. They're asking for the support of the local churches to fund the work of Presbytery. The Presbytery is, is the Presbytery of Central Florida. It basically stretches across the central part of this state from coast to coast, including Orlando and going all the way uh, across to um, uh, the counties north of Tampa and, and that kind of Pinellas County and no, north of there. About 85% of the budget of Central Florida Presbytery is committed to church planting. So it's not money that goes into some big administrative pot or something that pays a bunch of bureaucrats to do bureaucratic things. Eighty-five percent of the of the monies that we contribute to Central Florida Presbytery goes to church planting, and that's why it's important for us to support the work of the presbytery. It's it's a statistical thing in our denomination that more people come to Christ through church plants than through established churches. So to be involved in church planting means, mean, means historically for us as a denomination, effective evangelism. It means that the gospel is getting out. So we support church planting through the presbytery. We support our denominations agencies um, as well. We, we, um, support the askings of the whole denomination. There's a similar thing that goes on there. And that means that we support Mission to North America, which is a church planning agency for the denomination. And we support Mission to the World, which means we're supporting through the denomination um, the worldwide extension of the gospel. Now, so number two is, uh, is church planting, and we're doing that through connection to the Presbyterian denomination. We also believe um, that it's, it's a better thing when it comes to specific missionaries and ministries, it's a better thing to support fewer missionaries with greater dollar amounts, if you will. Um, and and what, what that does really is create focus for us and it develops relationship between us as a church and missionaries. There are tons and tons of very, very worthy 
ministries and missionaries out there. Um, you can't do everything. We can't do everything. So what, what we're seeking to do is be prayerful and thoughtful and ask where should we focus um, our, our funds um, so that we're really supporting fewer missionaries with greater dollar amounts and establishing good relationships with those folks. And um, there are two, if you, if you want a couple of subpoints under the fewer with more thing, there are two things that, that shape our, our thinking at that point. One is, what, is what, what do we want to do to be strategic? I mean, there are some areas of the world that, that need the gospel more than other areas of the world. So we want to try to think strategically, but we also want, um, we want, to, we want to read providence, okay? What opportunities has God dropped in our laps that makes sense for us to participate in. And, and the two main places of focus and emphasis right now because of, uh, uh, you know, attempting to, to look at the providence of God um, are our involvement with the Mahans in London. Sarah Mahand is a child of this church. She's a, she's a daughter of, of this church, the, the first iteration of Christ the King Presbyterian Church. Christ Presbyterian Church is where Sarah and her family, many of the Davises and, and Ted and Donna and some others of you have known Sarah for years and years and years. Um, and they're doing a great work in London among Pakistani Muslims. They've planted one church. They're, they're in the process of establishing a second church. That's a relationship that we want to cultivate over a long period of time continuing to support them and grow, hopefully grow our support for them. So those two things, what in God's providence has he brought to us and what does it look like to be strategic? And the second one, of course, is the Tanzania thing, which I brought with me when I came here. So that is the providence of God in your lives. <laughs> okay. Um, so there's that. That's the third thing. The fourth thing um, we, we want for our... We want to support ministries that share our theological commitments. Again, there are tons and tons of worthy ministries out there. Um, we can't do everything. We can't support everybody. So we want to try to support those works, those ministries, where we have shared theological commitments, okay? And we're, we're trying to do that. And then here's the fifth thing. We also, and you know, there's a balancing act that goes on here with these things. We also want to move in the direction of the hearts of our people, okay? We, we want our mission giving and, and our mission support to move in the direction of those things that the people in our church are passionate about, that they care about. Now, again, we can't do everything, but we, but we want to try to, to, to line up our mission vision and the execution of that vision with the things that our people care about, okay? So we support the Women's Refuge of Vero Beach because that's a ministry that people in our church care about. We support CareNet, Crisis Pregnancy Center. We have two board members uh, who are members of our church and, and other people who volunteer for CareNet. Um, Mike and Emily McAuliffe, the Shablums, uh, Scott and Jennifer, a couple of you have asked me about them. They've moved out of the area. He's taken a position uh, with Youth for Christ down in Palm Beach County. Good move for him. Um, sorry for us, but uh, 
good move for him. But Mike and Emily McAuliffe are here working very close to where we are in, in Gifford, the Gifford Youth Activity Center and working at Gifford Middle School. There are some folks in the congregation who support them through us, and we in our budget support them. So, you know, we, we want to be supporting the things that our people care about. The Mahans would be another example of that. Um, the Tanzania thing. You know, you know that it's something that's captured my heart. Frankly, I, it's, it's captured the hearts of many of you as well, and that's a very, very exciting thing to me. Um, we support... The, feel a little self-conscious sharing this with you, telling you uh, about this, but I, I think it's legitimate. We support the work of Reformed University Fellowship, uh, which is the college ministry of the Presbyterian Church in America. We supported Brittany Ailes when she was an intern, daughter of the church. We've shifted that support to Brent and Katie Webster. Katie's my daughter. <laughs> That's the point at which I feel a little self-conscious about this. But they're, they're working in Berkeley, at the University of California, Berkeley. And I can't tell you the number of, number of people, some of them who are here, who have sort of rolled their eyes when I've said they're working at the University of California, Berkeley, and, said, and, and have said, what does that look like? <laughs> you know, Well, it looks like the gospel going to a desperately needy place where desperately needy people need to hear the gospel. And several months ago, I shared the story of this little Jewish girl, Hannah, who is wrestling with coming to terms with the gospel and who is embedded, immersed in the ministry of RUF at the University of California, Berkeley, because RUF is there. And our daughter uh, happens to be privileged to be married to the guy who's coordinating that ministry. So we, we want to take seriously you know, the, the interests, the desires, um, the needs around us and, and try to give shape to this. And, and this is what we've, we've tried to do. Um, so again, five things, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, church planting, we want that to be at the center of it. It doesn't have to be everything, but we want for church planting to be at the center of it. By the way, uh, the, the diocese in, um, in Tanzania, I think many of you know this, has grown from about 80 churches to um, over 150 churches in the course of time that, that Peter has been the bishop. So it is a church planting thing, and it lines up really well with, with uh, a commitment to church planting. Um, fewer places with greater resources, shared theological commitments, and considering um, the interests of our people. Where, where are the hearts of our people going as, uh, as they seek to involve and invest themselves in ministries? Now, obviously, one of the places we've been um, been involved, which you all have been just so incredibly supportive of and, and very gracious um, about, is uh, this ministry in Tanzania. So, what I'd like to do now is just show this um, this video. It, it is about eight minutes. Let me just tell you briefly what you're going to see. You're going to see some aerial shots of the area where we go, uh, the town of Musoma, one of the islands off the coast. Uh, there are lots of islands in Lake Victoria that have lots of churches on them. They're a part of this diocese. Uh, interspersed throughout this, you're going to see animals. You'll see zebra and wildebeest and giraffe, and they're just kind of littered and sprinkled in and through there. Um, you'll, you'll get um, a, little, a little video, a short video clip of the conference, the pastors uh, 
and wives in, in one of the worship times during the conference. Uh, you'll see, um, uh, you'll see uh, a video uh, from Masinono. You'll see some snapshots of the new church building that was built in Masinono. And then a short video clip of some children pumping water from this well that we drilled. Um, and, and just a couple of other things. I think it'll be sort of self-explanatory what is there. So let me play this, and um, and after I'm finished playing it, we'll um, we'll have the rest of the time for questions. Yo. Yeah, it sure does. It sure does. Maybe we could have that uh, handheld mic. Ah, shoot. It's already on. Okay. Hang on, we got to find the speaker. You're not hearing that, are you? It's up, Ray. It's okay. We got it. Can you hear that now? Okay, here we go.
From my um, hotel room in Masoma, the town uh, where we've held the conference for several years. Those are just uh, homes in the community, in the town. This is at the conference. is in Masinono. People bring their own chairs to worship. This is driving to... Uh, service of worship the first Sunday that I was there in the town of Tarime. Give you a feel for the roads.
Masinono, and this is the well. building of uh, the area around the, the church in Masinono. This is the pastor's family. What's behind them is the kitchen, open fire. That would be a giraffe. The colored area is Tanzania. Okay, there's uh, two weeks crammed into eight minutes. We, um, gosh, there's so many. Let me hit the lights. Charles, could you get the lights? Thanks. So many, so many things to share. So many stories to to tell. I'll just 
um, share a couple of things and and then let you ask questions for the balance of the time. Um, just to, you saw the little video clip of the conference, about 300 people uh, packed into a, a room more narrow than this, about probably about as wide as the drop-downs and probably the length of this uh, building. Pretty, pretty tight uh, quarters, um, not air-conditioned. Use your imagination. Started, you know, it was pretty comfortable in the mornings, but by the middle of the afternoon when we're doing the, you know, kind of the later sessions, it, it got pretty warm. Got pretty warm. But uh, such a great, great time. And um, I think I shared with, uh, with you all last Sunday that the response uh, to the teaching um, this year is very, this is very humbling, but um, was uh, such that they, they have asked that I take the manuscripts and well, that they take the lectures that I gave and reduce them to manuscript, produce them in manuscript form, and they want to publish a book. So um, it'll have to be in English before it goes into Swahili because my Swahili is uh, not so good. So, you know, we'll, uh, we'll probably publish it in some, some form for us here at least. But uh, they are very serious about this and want this stuff to be, to be uh, published in, in Swahili. So... I'm very excited to do it. I uh, want to ask you to pray about it, um, that we can get this done in the next six to eight months so that we can get this. We talked about this the other night at our um, session meeting, our elders meeting, and um, I think our desire would be, I think I'm speaking for all of us, our desire would be able to get a copy of this in the hands of, of every pastor, not just in the diocese, but in the denomination, in the AIC um, of Tanzania denomination, and maybe even beyond, because there are five countries where Swahili is the national language, Tanzania, Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, and Burundi. And uh, so, you know, we'll see where it goes, but uh, that was just a very, very exciting thing. The conference was very, very encouraging um, in both directions. I think I think they uh, they benefited, but, um, but I, uh, I certainly benefit. There's one pastor whom I love seeing every year. He's been at the conference every year, going back uh, eight years now. His name is Henry Kibiti, and uh, and I, I, you know, I've shared this before. I have the perfect Swahili name because every word, virtually every word in Swahili, ends in a vowel. So I have the perfect Swahili name, and every time Henry sees me, he says, "Mikey Maloney." <laughs> And we run across the room and give each other a big hug. He's just a very, very dear guy. And then the other, the other part of this um, is this First Well project. And, and I'll just share with you that this has, made, um, this has just made an enormous difference in the lives of the people of this village. There are about 2,600 people who are served by this well, about 260 to 270 households. The households are multi-generational. They're typically about 10 people to a household. Um, and um, the, this, this well project in this village, which is one of the most um, uh, hard-hit villages in the diocese with respect to water. I didn't know this um, quite so clearly until this trip. Uh, but this, having this well in this village has just been a it's been a life-changing thing. And the list of things, the list of ways in which people are affected are, are obvious and not so obvious. I mean, 80% of, um, of illness in the third world is related to water. 80% of illness. 
So when you put fresh water in a village like this, you are, the effects on physical health is immediate. And that extends to the elderly and the infirm and the very young. Uh, infant mortality rates are very high. Disease among children is very high because of waterborne um, problem illnesses. And so to put a well in a village like this just makes a huge difference immediately in the lives of these people. But it's created tremendous opportunities for this church. Um, the pastor is aware of at least eight people who have come to Christ because they've come to the church as a result of the church making water available to uh, the people of the village. The church owns and operates the well, um, but it's not just for the people of the church. Obviously, it's for the whole community, and people have been drawn to the church because of, uh, because of this ministry uh, that the church has in this community, and at least eight people have come to Christ as a result of, uh, of that. The church has been able to... Um, uh, establish uh, a couple of funds. 80% of the revenue from the sale of the water, the water is sold, okay? Um, costs you about seven cents a day to uh, secure 80 liters of clean water. And these folks are accustomed to walking, the women are accustomed to walking two to three hours one way to fill a 20 liter bucket of dirty water water that has to be boiled, strained and boiled before it can be consumed. Uh, so for seven cents a day, uh, they get four times the water and it's, it's clean. Um, and uh, the church, uh, 80% of the funds uh, that come from, from the sale and distribution of the water go into a maintenance fund uh, so that the, the well can be maintained, the pump can be replaced when it needs to be replaced and that kind of thing. And 20% of the proceeds from the sale of water um, go to the church for ministries in the community. Not, not ministries in the church, but ministries in the community. Uh, so it, it just has been at multiple levels of win, 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 win kind of a thing. Um, and this is, this is really cute. Um, we asked uh, the pastor and his wife how marriages were being affected by having water. And, um, I mean, honestly, they got, they got sheepish. They said, we have more time. You do the math. I mean, <laughs> she's not tired. They got more time. Moving right along. I mean, and, and you know, domestic violence is affected by this because, you know, these women are walking two and three hours. They're passing, they're going by other villages. Suspicious husbands think the reason it takes so long for the woman to get back is because she's got something going on with some guy in some other village. Uh, children can be overly and severely disciplined because husbands who never make the walk to the lake to get the water don't know how long it takes and assume that a child, an eight or ten-year-old child, should be able to make the trip in, in, a, in, in a lesser amount of time. And so they'll, they'll be beaten if they take too long. So, you know, the, the impact and the effect of this little project is, is, is far, far-reaching. So it, it, it's a wonderful relationship that we have uh, with Peter, with the diocese, uh, wonderful opportunities. I, I, I have to tell you that, I've, you know, we've done one well um, 
we've done surveys in four other communities. And um, in three of those communities, there are good water sources. And um, people of the congregation have been very gracious to contribute another $24,000 for well projects. And we're in the negotiating stage right now with, with the well drilling company. And I, you know, I've just said to Peter, look, you know, tell him we got, this is what we got, and this is what we want to do. And it, it does cost. I've, I've talked with people over there who are involved in these things, and it does cost seven to $10,000 to put a well in the ground. It just, it just does. I mean, that seems to be the number that just kind of keeps coming up. So uh, this one was um, uh, 65 meters, so it's about 200, 200 feet down to the, to the source, to the water source. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It, it's in correct. Correct. There's it's a PV, it's four inch PVC that is inserted into the borehole that goes to the water source. Yeah. Yeah. So let me let me just stop. I mean, again, there's a ton of stuff that I I could share. The conference was wonderful. We're already talking about next year's conference. We, as a session, we've talked about. Um, in the years to come, sort of mapping out a teaching plan for the conferences and, and publishing the, the stuff that is taught so that these pastors can, you know, can have some printed materials in their hands. Um, I think it costs between five and $7,000 to do, a, to do a, a, an initial run of about 1,000 copies of a book. That's including translation costs, printing costs, binding costs, Five to seven thousand uh, dollars to basically to get a, a book published, um, and then of course if you know if, if you did publish more than a thousand copies, the per copy cost goes down after you've done the uh, you know the initial setting, typesetting, whatever that stuff is. So yeah, Ruth. That's a great question. This building that 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 you saw uh, in Masinono is a new building. I, Scott Stradley has some pictures of the old building, and I, I didn't get them from him to be able to do a kind of a before and after. Um, that building, is, it's a concrete floor. It is mud brick walls held together with a mortar, and the reason the thing was able to go up so quickly is because of the well. It's because they had access to water, and they could make the mortar. <laughs> And, and, and build the thing. But the funding for it came from a Korean woman who is using her resources. See, this is a really cool thing about, about being, in the, being go, going international, if you will. We're, we're so kind of ethnocentric, geopolitically centric that we, you know, we think we're the only ones doing stuff. And it is so cool to learn that there's a Korean woman whose husband died who has resources she has a commitment to the gospel, and she wants to help churches build buildings. And she provided the funding for them to secure the materials. We provided the water. She provided, and it was a wonderful marriage. And that building, the old building, was mud walls, not even mud brick walls. It was mud walls held together with straw and, and uh, corn stalks, okay? Corn stalks and, and some kind of ropey kind of thing with mud plastered stuff. That's what the walls of the building were, dirt floor. 
Well, this building has become a community building for the village of Masinona. So whenever organizations show up to do something in the wider community, that's the building that they use because it's the only community building in this village. It's really, it's just, yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, Bob. The very poor. They're very poor. Um, the the Tanzanian currency is Tanzanian shillings, and the exchange rate is about fourteen hundred shillings to the dollar. Uh, so it costs actually a hundred shillings to buy water for the day, which is about seven cents, if my math is correct. Seven times four is twenty-eight. Carry the two. Seven times it's ninety-eight. It's about seven cents. Um, they don't have much money. But the little bit of money they have, obviously, they would use for something, something like this. So where do they get their money? Um, uh, some of them have little, little shops where they will sell braided work or, or you know, something like that. They grow cotton when they can, you know, if they, if they get sufficient rains. They grow corn if they can get sufficient rains. The corn is a staple for life. They grow rice. Rice is a staple for life, but cotton is a, um, is, a, is a thing that they will sell, and you'll see these huge bales of cotton along the roadside, and, you know, trucks come by and pick this stuff up and pay these farmers these uh, little bits of money for, uh, for the cotton. Um, uh, so, you know, they don't have a lot of money, but, but they, they do have enough for... They, exactly. The church operates it. The well operates from about 6 o'clock in the morning till about 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, and then they shut it down until the late afternoon, and it opens back up again at about 3 in the afternoon and runs until about 6 in the afternoon, 6 in the evening. And they're doing, you know, they're doing cultivation and caring for livestock and doing all those other things during the day. So they come for their water in the mornings and in the afternoons. 40 liters in the morning, 40 liters in the evening. And one of the things this church has done that is really very cool, they, they um, well, two, two things. You know, how do you determine the fees? Well, the, 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 um, uh, the diocese has a director of community development, and this is, what, this is the kind of stuff he works in. Um, well projects, educational projects, health projects, all of these kinds of things are things that he's involved in. And um, after the well was, was put in, he came to the church and met with the elders of the church and the members of the church, and they just had a discussion, a meeting just like this. Um, and the, the members decided what the fee structure would be, and then they went to the village leadership because there are village elders, too. It's like a town council. Um, they gathered the village leadership together and said, this is what we're thinking. We'd like to have your input. Does this sound good to you? Well, you know, um, they're saying, you know, absolutely. I mean, they were just ecstatic um, at uh, the fact that there, there was a water source in the village and, and, and that it was so affordable, I mean, so accessible to all of the people, and clean water. 
And then the other thing that the church did, and they communicated this to the village leadership, they said, we want to know how many elderly and infirm people there are in the village because we want to provide for them at no charge, which was just a, you know, a really, really cool diaconal kind of a thing for them to do. So it, it is really um, given, it, it is really given the gospel a platform in this, in this community. So yeah, Pat. Great question. We asked, we asked, you know, um, what have been the benefits? And, you know, last year when we were there um, and we interviewed, by the way, the day we went to Masanona was market day. So it's like nobody was around. You know, there just weren't very many people around because the market is removed. I don't know where it was, but they weren't in, in the village, which was kind of too bad. On the other hand, it's kind of a good thing that we just sort of showed up quietly and, you know, then there wasn't all this crazy fanfare and stuff, which I'm afraid there would have been. And, you know, but we were able to talk to the pastor and his wife and some of the church leaders who were there. Last year when we were there, we asked uh, a couple of the women, how would your life change if you had a well? And the first thing this woman said was, I could be clean and my children could be clean. And that was the first thing they mentioned. We, we're clean. Everything is cleaner. We're cleaner. Our children are cleaner. But the other thing that was mentioned is um, increased food supply. And I think, that's a, I think that's a function both of time and, and a little bit of water. I mean, 80 liters of water is not, still not that much for a, for a family of six or eight or ten people. But it does, you know, it does afford them some flexibilities. I mean, they get it every day and a little bit of irrigation, you know, irrigating a banana plant or a little, little patch of rice or a little, you know, something of corn, it, it has affected their food supply. It has increased their food supply. And the other thing is just time, time to, to do the cultivation, time to care for the livestock, time to do these other things. And energy, and energy for these things. Well, it's seasonal, Bob. When they when they have rains, um, it's it's good. But they, you know, there's no real there's no way to collect those rains and sort of put them in, you know, to store them for the future. They 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 collect in open cisterns. That's you know, and of course, evaporation, and then you have the pollution of those waters, which is a huge huge problem. So they do have rains, but they're seasonal. They're unpredictable and um, so that the, the impact has been far-reaching, yeah. but clean. Uh, that, that's just really been. Anne, were you going to ask him? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Ray. That, that takes education, and they don't they don't have the opportunity to go to school. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it, it requires education, and, and you have to have money to be educated to do those kinds of things. And they don't, you know, most of them just don't have access to education. Um, this particular village was is about um, five kilometers, so that's about three miles, something like that. It well, it is a freshwater lake, but um, it's it's just been fouled. The the shoreline has been fouled by animal usage and human waste and uh, just various things. Yeah, Charles. Yeah. Yeah, comparable in comparable in size. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And a village is not what you think of when you think of a village. It's not a. You you saw just. I wanted to get a kind of a picture of the surrounding area. You know, the, when women come for water to the well, they're still having to walk. Some of them a pretty good distance. I mean, some of them it's a mile or a mile and a half, which is half of what they used to walk for something that's a whole lot better. Um, so a village is not a concentration of buildings. In an area, it's a it's kind of a geographic designation that can be three or four miles across, with a couple thousand to three thousand people living in the in the limits of that um, geographic designation. We we didn't meet her, Bruce. I don't. Yes, yeah. I I don't know. I don't know the full story there. What her deal is, but uh, clearly she has a connection to the diocese. Um, so yeah, Andy. Um, I, I think there were two things. Masinono was the first village that I visited on my first trip to Tanzania. And I, I just, you know, I don't know. I just kind of had an immediate sort of hard attachment. I think that was a factor. But but really, they, Peter told me that they based it on need. The, the need is everywhere, but some places the need is greater than others. And this was one of the, the most needy villages. And the, the villages and these next three that we're hoping to to put wells in are kind of right there. I mean, there's numbers two, three, and four. You wonder why people live in these places, but but they do, and and they you know they kind of make it work. So it it, it was based on need. Yeah. Yeah, Bob. Well, there are people involved all over the continent doing these kinds of things. Um, uh, you know, I've I've been able I've met people in the course of trips over there, but there isn't anything in this area. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, that's how vast the continent is, and it's how vast the need is. Yeah, it's a huge continent, and the need is huge. So, the, and the, I mean, there just isn't anybody working in this particular area. Yeah. Yeah. 
so there, there are, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm excited about the future. What I started to say a few minutes ago is that kind of going over there, we, you know, we've had conversations about this, the elders and, and trying to figure out what we do and how do we do this. And, you know, we're, we're talking about 100 to 120 wells. You know, it's a million, million and a half. We don't know what it's, what it's going to cost. How do we raise that much money? How do we facilitate the you know, the, the appropriate distribution of that, and, and we, we just don't know. But I, I, and I haven't said this to anybody else, but I just coming back from this one experience, I, I kind of don't care what it takes. I want to try and get this thing done because it, 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 the impact, and, and even if it ends up being considerably slower than I would like or, or whatever, I still want to peck away at this thing um, and see if we can't get, you know, get this thing get this thing done because there isn't anybody else working on water issues in this particular region. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, it would. It would. Yeah, there are tons. There are tons. Yeah, John. Actually, you do have to get to, the question is, what well, two questions, what, what's the situation politically? Are they oppressed by the government? And do you have to go through processes with the government to get approval? You do. You, you have to go through a permitting process before the water um, can, be, can be consumed. Um, it has to be approved for human consumption, which I think I've shared this before is really kind of riotous when you realize that these women have been walking to Lake Victoria and bringing back rancid water. You know, you've got to go to the government to get approval for clean water that's coming out of the ground. It's just a, it's a funny kind of a thing. So, yes, there are some procedures that you have to go through. But they do have a nonprofit exemption, so you don't have to pay the 20% VAT tax that everybody else has to pay. Yeah. Yeah, the question is, what about the Muslim presence in Tanzania? Tanzania has been a very stable place uh, politically, religiously, uh, since its founding in um, 1964-65. And that is because of the leadership of the first president, um, who served five terms, uh, served for 25 years, and then um, in in his particular case, it really was a good thing. Peter has said he was a man of real integrity, seemed to have some real spiritual interest. Whether he was a Christian is a little unclear, but um, uh, was a man of real integrity and really set a, a trajectory for the nation and, and really sought to unify the nation uh, where other countries in East Africa have been terribly affected by tribalism, tribal loyalties. It's, not, um, it's really not, you know, what's beneath so much of the... the the, the violence and, and conflict in East Africa, and I think this is true in other African nations, but I know it's true in East Africa, it, it really isn't so much religious as it is tribal. Um, the, the Rwandan genocide was a tribal thing, Hutus and Tutsis, and Rwanda at the time of that genocide was the most ostensibly Christian nation on the African continent. So the you know the the formal allegiance was to Christianity, but the real and deeper allegiance was to the tribe. Well, um, 
Julius Nyerere, who was the first president of Tanzania, really was able to lead the country away from those sort of tribal loyalties and, you know, for 25 years encouraged people to think of themselves as Tanzanians first and as members of a tribe secondarily. And that has sort of spilled over into even to the religious sphere so that, so that religiously there hasn't been the conflict in Tanzania that there is in some other countries. Now, those tensions seem to be increasing as Islam, you know, is moving from sub-Saharan Africa and, and really pressing more deeply into East Africa. Some of those tensions really are growing. And that's why Peter has been involved in this council, the Council for Christian Churches, which has sought to establish a, a solidarity among Christian denominations, not speaking against Islam, but, but speaking for the Constitution. The Constitution keeps religion and the state separate. And so they've been speaking in defense of the Constitution, reminding the president who is, uh, is, happens to be a Muslim as well as the, um, the, the parliament, that the Constitution forbids oppressing on the basis of religion and has established the free exercise of religion. So, you know, Muslims can practice their faith, Christians can practice their faith, but the Constitution forbids any kind of, um, you know, um, oppressive um, agendas and tactics and that kind of thing. In the name of religion, yeah. And, yeah. Everything's translated, almost. Yes, yeah, yes. Somebody is with me, always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the mysterious green stuff, the stuff whose origin is yet uh, to be determined. Um, yeah, it's some kind of spinach thing. It's a green leafy thing um, that gets boiled. and It's green and leafy and it gets boiled. <laughs> it was, she asked if it was good. It's green and it's leafy and it gets boiled. Yeah. Yeah, the diet is uh, a lot of beans and rice. Um, and depending on where we are, we'll eat, we'll eat fish. I, I just, I'm still, I just can't get used to the head and the eyes. You know, so... Yeah, yeah, so that's, oh yeah, they do. And it is the best part. I, You know, look, I don't want to be uh, disgusting or gross here, but fish brains are a delicacy. And if you're the honored guest, you, I, and I, I said, you know, Peter, look, I mean, there, when you come to America, there's some things we don't ask you to do. And I'm just asking you that you not ask me to do this as the honored guest. You know, it's it, it's different, but you know, when when you're when you're um, you know here in the United States, we live to eat. Over there, they eat to live, and when you're in a place where you eat to live, you eat you eat everything, you eat everything. So the diet's tough. I have to admit, it's just it, it's too it's too it's it's bearable. Okay, it's but it's rice and beans and you know some green stuff and occasionally a, a fillet. Yeah. Yeah, this side. Wanda and then Vicky. Is the rice brown or what? Brown or white. Yeah, it's white rice. It's white rice. 
Again, depending on what it's boiled in, it can be kind of brownish. I'm, I mean, I'm not kidding. It's, I'm serious. My, you know, the, the tub of my shower doesn't drain real well in the hotel where we stayed, and the water backs up, and it's dingy. I mean, it's just dingy water. I mean, it is what it is, you know. So we drink bottled water. You have to be very vigilant. I think that's the thing that's the hardest, really, about this trip is you're just you're constantly vigilant. You're thinking about your hands. You're thinking about the food. You're thinking about who's around you. You're thinking about, you know, I had a little rodent in my in my room. You know, first time I've had a little rodent. Got geckos all the time. They're but they're friendly. They eat bugs, so that's a good thing. No bed bugs. Yeah, Vicky. They do have schools. They don't have medical facilities out in the bush. The, the two largest t- towns in this region, the region of Mara, are Musoma and Bunda. Musoma is where the, where the diocesan offices are and where the bishop lives. Bunda is where we hold the conference. Musoma is a town of about 130,000. Bunda is a town of about 70,000 people. And they do have clinics in those two towns. But those are the only places I've seen medical clinics. So the, the diocese will send staff out into the bush to the villages to do, to do medical work um, in, in the villages. And actually, one of the things we've talked about is taking a team of doctors with us to do a, a, a clinic at the conference to, you know, to, to do stuff for women, to, to, you know, even a dentist and, and a, an eye person and, you know, just take people with different specialties to see if we could put on a kind of a full orbed medical clinic for the pastors and wives who come. So, yeah. Uh, they, they, well, there are, let's see if I can, see if I can remember all the types of transportation. Most people walk everywhere. Bicycles um, are a luxury. You see uh, bicycle taxis in the towns. It's a, it's a little business. So if you've got to go from one end of the town to the other, which could be three or four miles, you pay 100 or 200 or 300 shillings to get a ride across town on a bicycle. If you've got more money, you can ride on the back of a moped. Okay. Um, there are a few automobile taxis that I hadn't seen before this year. I saw half a dozen automobile taxis. Very few cars. There are cars and trucks around. And then there are two kinds of buses. There are these little minivans that, and you've probably seen pictures or film footage of this, they will press as, it's like, you know, it's like trying to get 15 clowns in a, in a Volkswagen, you know, as a stunt. Well, this isn't a stunt. I mean, they get 15, 18, 20 people in these things and actually hanging out the, on the outside of them, driving people, taking people around town. And then there are big buses, which are for, for between-town transport. So when they go to the clinic, they typically walk. They can walk good distances. Yeah, Jan. Yeah, they can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. Yeah, there is a school in the village of Masinono. The government covers the cost of education through, it's either fourth or fifth grade. but after that, you have to pay tuition. And, and so, again, this, this adopt-a-pastor thing that we've started and that, we're, that so many of you resp- have responded to, um, that, where we, we s- seek to support a pastor at 
$25 a month. It's $30 a month, but $5 goes into an account to cover the cost of the conference, $5 a month. So about $60 a year covers the cost. $60 covers the cost of the conference for a pastor and his wife. So $5 of the 30 goes into that fund, but $25 a month goes to a pastor, and very often they'll use that money for tuition so their children can, can go to school. They'll buy mosquito nets, which can cost three or four bucks, and in many cases they just don't have mosquito nets. Malaria is the number two killer of children in Tanzania, so you know they'll use it for that. They'll use it to buy food. They'll use it to buy seed corn. They'll you know they'll use that twenty-five dollars a month for a lot of different things. Long answer to the question, but but there are schools. Tuition is covered through grade five. Beyond that, the family has to pay for it. And education really is critical for folks. Could, hey, Ray, could I let somebody else ask a question who hasn't asked one? And then I'll come back to you. All right. Yeah, Vladdy. Yeah, you do see dogs around. And I don't know if they're, I, I, I mean, I'm sure they're domesticated. Um, so you do see, you see you, they do have cows. I, I've seen, I've, they have mules. You see mules, and you see mules transporting, like, bags of grain or, 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 or containers of water. It's the first time I've seen that. But, but they don't seem to use them for transportation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Jim. Um, the equivalent of about 50 out of 150, but it's growing. I mean, there are folks who are getting interested in this, and so that's encouraging. And the idea is to have the thing fully subscribed, 150 pastors. So, yeah, Ray, the food. What do they use there for food? What do they use there for refrigeration? No, there's no electricity, no running water. Well, yeah, but... Ray, those things all cost money. That's the thing I'm, I keep you know, I'm trying to say here. Those things cost money, and you have to have, I mean, you put kerosene or, or whatever into a generator. You've got to have something, you know, a motor of some kind, and they can't afford those. And then, then it's the, the whole question of repair and maintenance and, and that kind of stuff. It's very... Kerosene goes in one form of a generator. It goes right into the refrigerator itself. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's got to go into something, and they can't afford... The, the thing that it goes into, they, you know, they just can't afford. They, they don't have that, those kinds of resources. So it's, I mean, it really, I mean, these are good questions. It's just, you know, we are, we are light years removed in experience from, from what uh, these folks live with uh, every day. Let me, let me take one, one or two more. Yeah, Pat, and then we'll, we'll go. It's, it is underway. Um, one of the things we wanted, and which we have now, is to get pictures, names, biographical information. So we have that, and now we, now we really can get people paired up. We can get people who have said, I want to support this paired up, matched with a particular person. And, you know, sometime in the next couple of weeks, we'll get that, we'll get that published. We'll have those pictures. We'll have that biographical information. So you'll be able to put a picture on your refrigerator and know that you're, you're praying for 
Samuel Piagu and his his wife Rachel and their five or six or seven or eight or ten children. I mean, they have very large families. So we're you know we're we're there. So I I mean I would say keep those cards and letters coming. I mean you can you know we're 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 getting it in place. Yeah, Beth. Great question. The question is, is there a way to communicate with them at Christmas or Easter? Um, we talked about that some with, with the bishop, and I think the way that that could happen is for um, donors here in the States to send an email to the pastor you're supporting through the bishop. And then as he does his pastoral visitation he would be able to, to, to give those messages. They'd be able to translate those messages and give those messages to the pastors. Um, there's no way to communicate directly with them. Um, cell phone technology actually is facilitating communication in Tanzania. Um, it's a pay-as-you-go system. If you can get enough money to buy a phone um, and then, you know, you get a few shillings together, you can put some time into the phone, and you can actually communicate. And I don't want to elaborate this or prolong this too much, but, but a pastor, um, they, they distinguish a pastor from an evangelist in their, in their church government. And a pastor will have responsibility and oversight for two to six or eight churches, each of which is pastored by an evangelist. Now, what they're, I think what they're trying to do is get cell phones into the hands of all of the pastors, the 30 or 31 pastors, so that the bishop can communicate with the pastors who then, because these churches are in the vicinity of the main church, they can then communicate with, with uh, the evangelists. But Sure. I, yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah, sure can. Yeah, if you wanted to make a special Christmas gift to the, to the pastor you're supporting, um, we, that can be done. We would just include that. We wire the funds twice a year, 1st of June and 1st of December. That, is, that timing is what seems to be best. So we accumulate the funds from December to June, send a wire, accumulate funds from June to December, send a wire. And if you wanted to send a little additional for Christmas or something, you could do that. You could designate that, and we would just make that notation when we send the, the funds in, in December. Yeah, you, you could. That'd be great. Hey, it's 8.30. Um, thanks, you all, for, for your interest. By the way, just one more comment about the wells, um, or the particular well. The funds for that project were contributed... Um, by f- some friends of Christ the King, a couple of people who are here in the church and, and two or three other folks who are friends of Christ the King. The, the funds that we've received since, the, the additional 24,000, have come from people within our church. Um, but we, we just know that, that if, if we're going to do this, if we're going to drill 100-plus wells, we're going to need to reach folks outside our church community who would have an interest in this. Um, so you can just kind of continue to pray about that. It, it's um, it's a thing. I think it's a thing worth continuing to try to do. So, alrighty.